0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman-Torpey. And I'm Pete Torpey.
1: I'm a lover of games, so playing games is fun. And again, what I really want to do is just make sure that Other blind people have fun playing games, and they don't give up on games or think there aren't games for them. Uh, That's really kind of the, the sole purpose of the Mobile Accessible Gaming Group that I created.
2: And people do certainly enjoy playing games, but if you're blind, sometimes it's hard to find a game that you can play.
0: We'll speak with Aaron Spelker, who runs the Mobile Accessible Games for the Blind group on Facebook, and is a tremendous resource for information about games you can play whether or not you can see. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Aaron Spelker.
1: If you're new to gaming and new to blindness, I mean start out simple, you know, play a word game, play a, you know, sudoku, you know, something that's, you know, simple and using all the same gestures you would use on your iPhone anyway, uh before you try to tackle something that, you know, has complex uh, mechanisms and gameplay and you know I don't want you to a a player to get overwhelmed too quickly Uh, you know so build yourself up to the more complex games that's kind of the general tip I would get and you know there is something out there for you so you know take a look at the Facebook group Uh, like I said there's 20 different genres if you like playing a game I've covered at least one type of that game.
2: Support for Eyes on
0: Success is provided by aphconnectcenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success. Success.
1: Success. Success. Success.
0: Let's start by meeting Aaron and learning about his introduction to gaming as a blind person.
1: My name is Aaron Spelker. I'm a male in my mid-40s who was the longtime lover of gaming. And uh, about three years ago, I went blind. And um, I'm really on a new journey of what is life after uh, losing my sight.
0: Was that an accident or an illness?
1: It was a freak accident. Um, I was in Cancun on my 20-year wedding anniversary with my wife, and we went down to the beach, and a big gust of wind blew sand up into my eyes, and the sand um, cut the corneas of my eyes and introduced a very uh, virulent uh, bacteria uh, that I ended up in the hospital for three and a half weeks as they tried to... uh, fight off the infection and, you know, save me from having to have my eyes removed from the infection because I didn't want it to you know travel up into the brain and things like that. Um, they did manage to fight off the infection, but um, after three weeks of infection and and all the medicine to fight the infection, uh, I had gone from being a fully sighted person to someone who just has a little bit of light perception.
2: Wow. What a dramatic change. That's a tough uh, thing to, uh... Make the transition through when you've yeah. used to using your sight all your life.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's been a, an interesting challenge, um, and it's it's also a really interesting to be a person who you know lost their sight later in life. You know, a lot of people I've met have been blind uh, all their lives, and and we actually kind of face drastically different scenarios, uh, which is kind of unique. Like you know, not all blind people are the same, just like not all. Vision people are the same, and so there's there's some unique challenges that I face as being someone who's lost their sight later in life.
2: I'll bet, but yet that didn't stop you from your interest in games and figuring out a way to use games, even though you can't see them.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, as a person, uh, you know, my distraction. You know, some people you know read books or watch movies. You know, I would play video games as kind of the you know my downtime, relaxing time. And, uh, you know, several months after I lost my sight, I was like, uh, you know, I need something to distract me from my everyday life situation. And I went to try to, you know, play accessible games and, you know, really had a, you know, I was a kind of a PlayStation 4 type of player, you know, uh, console gaming. And that's really difficult as a blind person. They're they're graphic rich, uh, you know, kind of games. So I said, you know, did a Google search, you know, what kind of games do you do? blind people play, what type of video games, and that really led me to games that were on the iPhone. And then I went and started looking for, well, where's the master list of all these accessible games that blind people can play? And I wasn't really finding that list. And uh, after a while being frustrated of not finding the list, I decided to be the person who creates the list. So I started a group called Mobile Accessible Games, which is all about finding accessible games and sharing that with the blind and visually impaired community.
0: Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about
2: partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at
0: eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is accessible games of many different genres that you can play on your iOS device, whether or not you have any vision.
2: So in the introduction, you... Mentioned your motivation for learning about accessible games, and you talked about a group that you started to collect all these resources in one place for people who need accessible games. Can you tell us a little bit more about this group?
1: Yeah, it's a Facebook group. It's called Mobile Accessible Games, and it is a group that's focused all about mobile accessible gaming. So we kind of do uh, weekly reviews of accessible games. So I'll find a game, I'll play a game um, every Sunday. I put out a review that is, you know, what is this game? How accessible is it? If there's some accessibility choke point, I'll explain how how to get around it so that the person who's trying to play that game after me has an easier time at it. Um, every Wednesday, I interview a game developer about creating an accessible game, or a advocate about accessibility, or a you know a, a YouTube the influencer about accessibility. Every Wednesday an uh, interview will go out kind of just talking about uh, mobile accessible gaming and you know what are some of the new things that are coming out or new games or new channels that are covering uh, mobile accessible gaming. So I try to you know provide people a lot of content with the goal of I want it to be really easy for someone who's blind to say there are games out there for me to play. And I can find those easily and I can play those easily as opposed to struggling and maybe giving up before they really realize that there's a lot available to them.
0: Now, I am not a gamer, although I love puzzles, Um, but I understand that for avid gamers, there are many varieties of games that people play and some of them are quite sophisticated. Can you describe some of the varieties?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a big focus of the group is, um, you know, I'm a lover of uh, what's called role-playing games, Um, but I don't want to review just role-playing games because, you know, you may not like those. You might like word games or puzzle games or dice games, uh, text adventure games, you know, real-time strategy games. I mean, there's, there's a load of different types of genres of video games. So I think I have over 20 different uh, game types that I have played and reviewed over the nearly 100 games that are now on the Facebook group. And really with the goal of making sure that anyone who comes to the site, they'll find a game that fits, you know, the type of game that they like, whether that be, you know, something simple like a word, puzzle, Sudoku, you know, type of game up to the more complex, um, you know, or strategy games that that might be out there. So uh, I try to make sure that there's something for everyone out on the Facebook group
2: my impression is that there is a wide diversity sort of billions of games out there what fraction of these are accessible out of the box
1: there is a micro sliver of the games that come out i think it's something like 2500 games a day get posted to the app store wow uh, and, you know we might get a couple you know half a dozen maybe and then it's trying to find those half a dozen in you know that list of you know, 2,500 that come out a day. So uh, that's the big challenge of the, the Facebook group is I am constantly hunting, hunting, trying to find games, trying out games, listening and querying other people to try to you know, find out what accessible game they've currently playing or have played in the past to try to compile that list. That That is the biggest difficulty is finding games to play because it is a mi- micro sliver uh, of what is released to the App Store every day.
2: But that makes your group sound like even more of a valuable resource because an individual doesn't want to have to sort through these thousands of games just to find the one or two that are accessible. If you have a list already made, it makes it a lot easier for people to figure out which games they can actually use without having to do a whole lot of work ahead of time.
1: Right. And, and, and that's exactly what the goal is, is to make that easy for somebody. You know, also, I'm a person of, you know, some financial means, so I can go and buy a game and then find out, oops, it's not really accessible or not accessible enough to play and okay, I just wasted five dollars or, you know, eight dollars or however much it would be, but You know, a lot of the blind and visually impaired community, you know, struggle financially, and they don't have $5 to waste on a game that they ultimately can't play. So, you know, I try to take on that burden for them as well to, you know, make sure that I clear the path of, you know, here is a list, these all these games are playable. Uh, Some of them are free, some of them you pay for, but if you do pay for it, you know you're going to get a game that you can actually play and that is accessible.
2: So I thought there was a mechanism in the app store that if, for example, a game was not accessible, there was a way of getting a refund. Is that not the case?
1: It is. It's a hassle. I mean, it's just like any refund that you're trying to get. It's not the easiest thing. And it just gets people to shy away from even bothering. The blind community will look for a free game first just because if it doesn't work out, then I don't have to worry about trying to get a refund and get my money back. You know, I'll pay for that game, and you know, say, okay, yes. If you spend five dollars here, you still have a game that you can play and enjoy. Um, so, don't worry about spending the money and thinking that you're not going to have an accessible game.
0: Some of these more famous games—I assume they're famous because I've maybe heard of them—they have lots of fancy graphics, whether it's actual video or um, digital wised, you know, cartoony stuff. Are any of those accessible?
1: I would say as a general rule, the more graphic heavy, the more likely it is not. Um, You know, the more that it's going to rely on graphics as a mechanic of the gameplay, it probably is not going to be accessible. Um, A lot of the mainstream games are not accessible. What you'll find is there'll be a developer who We'll kind of do a knockoff of that game and put in the accessibility. So we'll have kind of the same experience, but not you know we're getting the store brand, not the brand name version of of the game. Is often how it goes.
0: So you're missing features, but at least you can play it,
1: right? Yeah, it's the same general concept, uh, but you know, not the brand version, if you will. You know, what we're really trying to do, and there's a lot more accessibility in the zeitgeist and popular culture and being discussed now than ever before and what we're hoping is that that gets developers thinking about accessibility as they start designing their games because accessibility is always easier to incorporate when you think about it right from the beginning as opposed to something you're trying to tack on at the end Uh, that often makes it a lot more difficult and a lot more expensive which then makes game developers shy away from doing it because they're not going to really see the return on their money. But if they start with accessibility from the outset, at the end, they'll most likely have an accessible game and it really won't have broken the bank in time or money to do it.
2: You mentioned that you interview a number of game developers and post them to YouTube. I'm wondering how receptive you see most of these developers are to accessibility concerns.
1: I would say, you know, I have a little bit of a, a group that is already put in accessibility. So, you know, when I interview with them, they're obviously very receptive. Again, these are a lot of indie developers uh, of, you know, mobile accessible games, and they're just excited to have people play their games. So if they can find out, hey, I can get one more person to play my game if I label the buttons, uh, you know, I'll take a, an hour or two and I'll label the buttons so that person can play. So they are very receptive. They are very willing to hear feedback about what's not working and then go try to fix it. Um, The ones that I struggle with is actually bigger developers of, you know, more AAA franchises. When you reach out to them, one, you're not really probably talking to the person who's the decision maker because it's a bigger company. You know, when I'm talking to a small indie developer, I'm talking to the guy who owns the company, the guy who's programming the game, you know, it's kind of he or she is the, the be all and end all of that.
0: And it's all the same person.
1: Right, exactly. With the bigger franchises, it's like, oh, no, we we can't change our program or we can't you know, add that in. That's too difficult or too expensive. It's it's those ones that you would think, you know, the bigger companies with the money and the resources would you know, be the ones that would add accessibility more easily or be willing to do it. But those are the ones that I find the, the biggest roadblock or the biggest, you know, just kind of get shut down when you, you mention accessibility to them.
0: Because you're probably talking to somebody in customer service who has a list of rules that they're trying to follow.
1: Right. Exactly. You're not going to the decision maker.
0: Right. With Pete being blind, we only ever had one driver in our house. And so if we wanted to make appointments for routine checkups at the eye doctor, I'm like, look, there's only one driver. There's four of us. Can we all come in at once? Oh, no, that's against policy. I'm like, ask the doctor. And every single time, it's like, sure, you can all come in at once. And if you can get past the person whose job it is to enforce yeah, the, the rules, gatekeeper. to the person whose job it is to make the rules, often they'll be more responsive. Right.
1: Absolutely. It's it's just difficult breaking in, you know, through to that person. You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Always.
1: I'm on a big campaign of uh, trying to reach the developers of a game called out of the park baseball, which is a baseball simulation game, which I very much enjoyed as a sighted person. And, uh, when I went blind, I was like, Oh, this should, seems like it should be relatively accessible, but it's a completely inaccessible game. And I've been, uh, Writing their customer support for years, trying to prompt them, you know, with each release that comes out to be like, "Well, you're going to do accessibility now? How about now?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I just keep trying to pound away to try to get some attention to get that game because baseball is one of those few sports that a blind person can really fully understand what is happening in a baseball game. Heck, it was for years and years just on the radio, and that's it. And that's how you consumed baseball. It, it can be a very auditory-type game. I and mean, it's one of the few games that really, as a, as a product, is not accessible. I mean, there's accessible soccer games. There's accessible hockey games. There are accessible you know, wrestling games and football games. And yet I can't really find an accessible baseball game. And it, it just seems very ironic to me as, as the one sport that has the closest ties to the black community compared to all those other ones.
2: It is interesting. As you say, though, some fixes are pretty easy. If it's just a matter of labeling buttons properly or cleaning up a dialogue, that's pretty straightforward. But some fixes really have to be made in a more global setting and if they haven't put the infrastructure in place initially when developing the program. It can be very difficult to make those changes without rewriting the entire program.
1: Right, exactly. That's why we're trying to get attention to people to think about this right from the whiteboarding of you know the start of the game. You know, we're doing this, but how do we add the accessibility in, or you know, just make sure we're labeling things as we go? It's just part of the checklist that you're doing right from the beginning, because then it's not really as daunting. It's just part of the checklist.
2: Now, there are some developers who develop games specifically for the visually impaired community. Have you reviewed any of those?
1: Quite a few. Um, There's a big one. I just wrote an article about 10 influential accessible games uh, that have come out in the last 10 years uh, for the iPhone. And on that list is a game company called Blindfold Games. Why they made it onto the list is they have probably two dozen different types of games that they have created specifically for the blind people, you know, for blind people and visually impaired people. And what I really like about that is they have tried to think through how do i make all these different genres of games accessible and they do a better job on some than others and some are more complex and some are a little bit more simple but it starts the the thought process around how do i approach a game from uh, you know an auditory standpoint and convey this information in an auditory way so that the blind and visually impaired can access it so i think he's you know really laid some of the starting groundwork for a whole bunch of different genres and lots of people over the years have kind of you know done a more complex version of what he started and you know some of the games that he created
0: and we've actually done two episodes with marty schultz who's the developer owner etc so aaron what are some of your favorite games
2: that are most accessible to people using voiceover
1: one of my favorite ones is a soccer simulation game called Football Chairman Pro. I think I love that game so much because it's basically Out of the Park Baseball except soccer instead of baseball. All the same concepts of hiring players, trading players, building up your stadium, putting in concessions, setting ticket prices, um, negotiating contracts. You know, playing the games, trying to win the games, and you know, taking your team from the lowly beer leagues all the way up to the you know premier championship league. Uh, just a lot of interesting content you feel like you're really in control and ownership a lot of information to process which they do a great job uh, using voiceover on the iphone to communicate to the player so the experience that i'm having with that game as a blind person it's the exact same experience that a sighted person and those are the games that i really enjoy when i realize there's not really any difference between what i'm doing and how i'm engaging in this game versus a sighted person who might be playing the exact same game Uh, that makes a me really feel they've done an exceptional job on the accessibility and thinking through accessibility on the game. I very much like, um, again, kind of big open world role playing games. There's one called Swordy Quest, which, um, uh, became very popular last year and is. very well received in the blind community. Uh, The developer, Charlie Seligman, who created that game, really did a great job at the start of his game of reaching out to the blind community and asking how can I make this accessible and what would make this easier to fight the battles or traverse the map. And he really took a lot of you know, information and incorporated that in this game to really make a you know an accessibility gem for the the community and a real standout of uh, you know a collaboration between a community and the developer to create a game that really fits the need of the the players.
0: So you talked about traversing the map. Is it built in to have descriptions of like, okay, so you turned right and you went a hundred yards. This is what you're seeing.
1: Well, in that particular map, it's a grid-based map. Um, So it's a 50 by 50 grid. And if you're on a square, it'll tell you, you know, you're standing in a desert and there happens to be a castle here. And so it'll kind of give you that description. What he incorporated were, were two, you know, really nice things for a blind person to understand a map, particularly of that size, is you can go to the map legend and it says, okay, you're standing on square, you know, x 20 y 20 and you know three three squares up and two squares to the right that there's a castle there uh three squares down and two squares to the left is an entrance to a cave so it kind of tells you uh by looking at that map you can get a sense of how close and far different waypoints are that you might be trying to get to and then the other thing that he did was he created a kind of an auto travel mechanic where you're like all right i'm i'm in sell 20, 20 X-20, Y-20, but I'm trying to get all the way across the map to you know, square 50 by 50. If you're trying to do that as a blind person and move after each turn, it would just be kind of a hassle and cumbersome to do. It really would slow down the interaction in the gameplay. But what he did is you can go select the square you want to get to. Again, let's just say it's X, uh, X-50, Y-50, and it'll move you each round, however many squares you're allowed to move. Let's say it's three. You'll move three squares at a time, until you finally get to the destination and you know after each round you know you might stop to uh you know gather some resources or you might end up running into a random monster encounter or whatever the case may be Uh, but you don't have to engage with the map and try to move three squares at a time you know for for 20 rounds because again it's just really hard and slower for us to do that than a sighted person who would just tap on the square and it's over in one second for us it's you know maybe 20 30 seconds to try to negotiate the map and get to where we want to go and you know, maybe even get a little confused of where we are in such a big map to find ourselves again. So um, that auto travel as well as the map legend relative descriptions you know really has made that an accessible game uh, for a blind person and a lot of those games you find uh, you know they, they don't have those features and it's just very easy to get lost very quickly when you don't have the decided you know vision uh, cues to form you where you are and where you need to be get, get going to.
2: Well, that was really thoughtful to add those additional hooks. One of the points I make quite often is just because something is accessible, meaning you can tell what everything is on the screen and get to every place on the screen, doesn't mean it's usable and efficient and productive to use. So sometimes you need a little extra help like that to be able to do things more productively. Exactly. Now, some of these games you play on your own and you can take your time with them, and some are multiplayer games where you're interacting with other people. Do you find any differences in how those work in terms of accessibility and usability?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do like a game where, you know, I can slow the pace down to whatever pace I need because then I don't feel like I'm holding anything up. When, When you play a multiplayer game, you know, some of them are, you know, pretty live back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And... We're a little bit slower, again, with people who might not know. You kind of have to move through each element until you find, you know, the button that you want to find. And that takes a little bit more time than just pressing the button like a sighted person would. So it sometimes can slow the game down a little bit. But, again, I think people realize that you're playing over the Internet to somebody who might be across the world if it takes me an extra 15 seconds as opposed to two seconds to do something. I don't think they notice really. I haven't had, had anybody complain about me taking too slow, uh, but I do say that that anxiety creeps up in me, and it's like, oh, this is t- I'm, I'm taking too long. This person must be getting annoyed that it's taking me a, a while to respond. So I, I don't know if that's a self infliction of anxiety. Uh, you know, that person might not even notice, but I think it's a, a self thing when it when it's a single player game and I'm in control. I have no worry, sorry, anxiety when, it, when there is somebody on the other side. I think I put a little bit more pressure on myself of just worrying about whether, you know, affecting their game experience and their fun in playing the game.
2: Yeah, it's easier to be a little bit more relaxed when you're on your own. You don't have to worry about uh, other people. Right. Oh, great. Sounds like you have a lot of fun with these games.
1: Yeah, you know, I have fun playing them. And like I said, I'm a lover of of games. So playing games is fun. And again, what I really want to do is just make sure that other blind people have fun playing games and they don't give up on games or think there aren't games for them. Uh, that's really the sole purpose of the mobile accessible gaming group that I created. You know, it seems like it's doing well in a year. We've gotten up to 1600, uh, you know, blind and visually impaired people, gamers who are, have joined the group and are hopefully finding good content out there for games for them to play or hints on how to get around something, uh, you know, of a game that they're playing. So it's a, it's a nice community. Everybody's very helpful and friendly. Uh, so, you know, please, if you're blind and interested in games, come join the group.
0: are listening to eyes on success 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 now for this week's final item how to learn more about the resources Aaron has created about accessible games and how to contact him
2: well Aaron tell us where people can find this user group for accessible games
1: the main group is on Facebook it's a group called mobile accessible games um Like I said, there's about 1,600 people in the group right now. Um, That's the easiest place to go. Um, I cannot share the link with you as well, uh, you know, to put it in the description. If you are interested in kind of daily accessible news about accessibility and gaming, I have a Twitter account also called Mobile Accessible Games, uh, where you can just kind of get day-to-day news about, you know, things that are happening in the state of accessible gaming, and then I have a YouTube channel, which is where I post up the interviews I do of game developers, accessibility influencers, and advocates around gaming accessibility. And that is just my name, Aaron Spelker. A A R O N. S isn't Sam, P is a Peter, E L K E R, where you'll find all those videos on YouTube.
0: And if people wanted to reach you to ask questions, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, the best way is through the Facebook group uh, to just join the group and just you know, post your question right in there. Uh, I'm on it, you know, every, you know, every hour of every day, so I'm very uh, in tune with that group, and that's the best way to kind of start a conversation with me.
2: And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: That's it for show number 2243. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll continue our conversation with Aaron Spelker, but on a totally different topic. Some people write for fun or because it's their job. Others have a story they want to share. When Aaron Spelker suddenly lost his sight, he found writing to be therapeutic as well as a good activity for learning important blindness skills. We'll talk with him about his journey and how writing a novel helped him navigate in a new world. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you'll all be back next week.